We're joined now by former Major League pitcher, and uh, he was a pretty good pitcher. And if I'm not mistaken, he threw uh, the knuckleball. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, Houston Astros broadcaster Steve Sparks. And Steve, am I right? You're one of the last knuckleballers. Yeah, there hasn't been too many since uh, Tim Wakefield and I were the only two in the major league for for a little while, and then R.A. Dickey, 2012, won the Cy Young Award. But and Steve Wright and down and now, Stephen Rice Steve Wright. in and out of the rotation with uh, with Boston, and uh, there might be one or two sprinkled around in the minor leagues. But uh, this seems like it goes in cycles. You know, when uh, somebody does something real good, you'll start to see an influx of guys starting to throw that pitch again, but. Uh, I don't think there hasn't been a season for about 70, 80 years where there hasn't been at least one knuckleballer in the league. Well, it's one of those things where you, you, you're around the game a lot and you ask people what's the best approach to hitting a knuckleball, and they always say, wait for it to stop knuckling. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, a lot of people say uh, when you see it high, let it fly. When, it, when it's low, let it go. Right. Uh, there's some theories, but my theory, and I'll stick to this all day long, and I've talked to other guys, is get on top of home plate kind of take away that freedom from the pitcher. He doesn't want to hit you. And to get him to try to steer the ball rather than just let it go, I think is your best option to see maybe a worse knuckleball. Yeah, because if you get hit by a knuckleball, it's not going to hurt a whole lot. (laughs) Not supposed to. (laughs) How did you come to throw the knuckleball? You know what? I I was in the minor leagues for about six or seven years at one point with the Milwaukee Brewers, the team I got drafted by. And I was having trouble getting out of double A. My, my, my stuff was marginal. And they just thought I was a good candidate to possibly throw one. I hadn't thrown one before. And who taught but, you? Uh, and who taught you? You know what? It was a little bit of trial and error. And then the biggest jump in, in my uh, advancement came when I got a chance to meet Tom Candiotti. I, I went there uh-huh. with six pages of questions. And I took that information he gave me and went to winter ball in Mexico and threw that pitch every single pitch. I threw it on 3-0. and I threw it on 3-2. and Any situation, I threw that pitch. And once I really committed to that pitch and didn't kind of fall back to my cutter or my fastball or anything else, when I really committed to it that winter, that's when I really started to make some big leaps. We're talking with Steve Sparks. He's a broadcaster with the Houston Astros. So let me ask you a question as a segue into the topic of Mike Elias and Sig Meidel. Um, coming to Baltimore, what would they say if, uh, say, Andrew Kashner came to them and said, hey, I'm thinking about trying a knuckleball, or maybe not Kashner, but somebody at the double or triple A level. Would they be in favor of trying that, or would the analytics approach that SIG is so uh, knowledgeable in tell tell you whether it could work or not? No, SIG is fascinated by it. I think he thinks there's a lot of merit to uh, having a pitcher with such a unique and distinctive style to match up against other teams. And you got to remember, as far as a knuckleballer, a lot of times their niche is to eat up a lot of innings. Yeah. And when you eat up a lot of innings, whether you're a starter or a long reliever, whatever the case may be, you're making everybody else better. And Verlander made that, that case uh, before the Cy Young Award voting saying, you know what, I make – you know, by giving my bullpen rest, I make everybody else that's a little bit better mm-hmm. the next two or three days because our bullpen's pressured because I, I, I get deeper into the ball games than a lot of people. So I feel like that's where the value of a, a good knuckleballer lies. And Sig, and Sig Meidel and I have had plenty of conversations. And the one thing that I've noticed between knuckleballers and maybe 
your everyday pitcher or conventional pitcher is that the temperament has to be much more laid back than those other guys. You have to be very calm, very relaxed. When you, when you get a chance to meet the Negro brothers or Charlie Huff, Tom Candiotti, uh, all those guys uh, throughout the years that have really excelled with that pitch, they were very laid back and relaxed. You've got to be that way to be able to throw that pitch when the pressure is mounting. Steve, is it a pitch, and I, and I certainly didn't have you on with the idea of talking about knuckleballs, but I couldn't help it. Is it a pitch that you that only is going to be appropriate for someone like yourself when they're having trouble getting to the next level, or do you think it could be used almost like how the Astros seem to change Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Ryan Presley, that it could be proactive to take a good pitcher – uh, and and turn him into a knuckleballer. I guess yeah. I'm answering my own question because you have it's to commit to it. You have to commit to it, it, though. You do have to commit to it. I, I think that, you know, for the knuckleball, you want to stay behind that pitch. And as a conventional pitcher, you typically want to throw on a downhill plane. Now, okay. Now you mentioned Garrett Cole and Justin Berlander. They love to throw the four-seam fastball above the belt, so you stay behind that pitch a little bit longer. But to go back and forth between mechanics, between the knuckleball and a good downhill pitch, it's totally different. So you're going to have to change your mechanics over and over again. Okay. And I think for the pitcher to, to really commit to the knuckleball, you've got to throw it at least 75%, 80% to really get locked into those mechanics because it's more so mechanical pitch than any other pitch. Steve, I got one more for you before we get to the uh, uh, hiring of Mike Elias and also Sigma Mydell. Uh, up here in Baltimore to try to turn this uh, franchise around a little bit. In in Mm -hmm. terms of the knuckleball, uh, from your playing days as opposed to what I saw growing up, could could you do in your day, and and even what we see today with some of the guys who throw it, could could guys go on two days rest? I mean, I saw Wilbur Wood when I was a kid pitch in both ends of a doubleheader and also pitch on two days rest. Right, yeah, you can. And I think if you do it over and over and over again, then it might catch up with you a little bit. But the, the biggest thing about it, and I would come back on a lot of short days rest or even throw in between starts out of the bullpen uh, when I first got to the big leagues, just out of necessity with Milwaukee. But I think the thing you don't have to rely on when you come back early is velocity. So as long as you're not injured or anything like that, it's almost just like throwing a side bullpen. And because you're not relying on velocity, it all becomes relative. And you're trying to change speeds with that knuckleball as much as you can, but you've got one comfortable speed, and then you're just going back and forth from that. But uh, it's not like you're trying to sneak a fastball by anybody or or, or anything like that. When you do throw a fastball, you're not looking for a tank. You're wanting somebody to put it in play, and it's usually somebody who can't take you deep. You know, it's funny, uh, comparing a knuckleball to a submariner, when I went to Orioles Fantasy Camp in 1992 – uh, I went as a submarine pitcher, and oh, yeah. and Grant Jackson pitch, picked me, and he said, when yeah. I saw you doing that, he said, I knew even in a league like this, it gave me an advantage because you wouldn't have a sore arm. Right, uh, yeah, you can pitch more you often. You can pitch more often. Is it the same case with a knuckleballer because he's not putting quite the stress on the shoulder? Yeah, I, I definitely think that's the case. In, in You know, if you're somebody like me that made the conversion from a conventional pitcher to a knuckleballer, one of the things you learn, and it took me two or three years to learn, is 
for your fastball, you don't want to throw it as hard as you can because it tips off the hitters to, to know that it's a different pitch. Mm-hmm. So I learned to back off instead of throwing it 87, 88 miles per hour. I learned to throw it 79, 80 miles per hour. And it made it look like I was still throwing a, a knuckleball because I was nice and relaxed. And uh-huh. then you're just trying to locate that pitch. But it's still uh, more effective because you're not tipping off the hitter to, to know that it's a different pitch. And because you're doing that, it's less stress on your own. Steve, what about the two guys that were hired to handle this ball club now? 115 lost season. You bring in Mike. You bring in Sig. And uh, all of a sudden, for a fan base who was just, just totally disgusted by what happened last year. After yeah. this press conference this this week, uh, the optimism like, like, is uh, running unbelievable pretty here, darn yeah. high right now. Yeah, he's very impressed. I was talking about Mike, and you guys are one for two in saying Sig's last name correctly. So Sig Dell, like a Dell computer. Right. Okay, so the both of those hires are, are just, I couldn't imagine a team that's in the situation that Baltimore's in making better hires. I've gotten the chance to know both of them pretty well the last six, seven years. And they're very organized. They're very sharp. They, they've seen this plan come to fruition. They know what to do. There's going to be mistakes along the way. They understand that. Uh, did, we, did we lose Steve Sparks? Sounds like we lost. There Steve, you, you there? Am I there? Can yep, you we me? lost you there yeah, for we lost you 20 for a second, seconds. Yep. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, well, I'll back up just a little bit. But just just knowing that you have two brilliant guys in a position to give the team clear focus and direction, I think is it's got to be exciting for the Baltimore fan base. And I've seen that place rock, and we all know what it's like when, it, when baseball is good in Baltimore. It's phenomenal. It's one of the best cities uh, in the league. And I think in two or three years, and hey, I'll tell you something else. One thing that Jeff Luno, the Astros general manager, did, he was crazy transparent about what they were going to do. And and we all knew it was going to be ugly. It doesn't make it any less Mm -hmm. painful. But for a year or two or or maybe three, things aren't going to look really pretty. But they're going to stick to their guns, and they've got a plan in place. And I'm telling you, it's going to come to fruition. They're smart. They're savvy. They know what to look for. Here's one thing that I kind of saw a little bit later, even when they were being so transparent. They're trading off Lance Berkman. They're trading off Roy Oswalt. They're trading Hunter Pence. And some of the guys you get back, they really don't come back to to help you, you know, or, or do this tur- turnaround thing. Now, a couple of those guys might, might pan out, and they may help you win some games from time to time. But once the team gets really good, one thing I noticed that the, the Astros did, instead of investing in the major league team at the, at the wrong time, they invested in their analytics. They invested money into the process of, of identifying players that can help you win a championship. How can we take this guy from where he is right now and make him a stud? They can do that. And they, they, they spend money in development. It's all about that pipeline, the farm system coming up to, to keep this thing sustained for eight or ten years. And uh, I know Baltimore's going to do it. I would argue that uh, I say bring them on because uh, I would argue it can't get any worse than it was last year. <laughs> it's because you don't know which way you're going. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. You know, you really, you really got to narrow things down. It, it's going to vacillate from time to time. That's okay. But you got to, you, you can't sell the fans uh, on something that's not real because they're going to see right through it. And these guys are real. Uh, they're smart, uh, engaging. The press conference, I saw it with Mike uh, on MLB Network the other day. And uh, comes across great. I mean, that's him. He's just genuine, smart. He's affable. Uh, he'll be available. He knows what to do. And uh, uh, he's got the energy and passion to, to, to see it through. Steve Sparks is our guest. He's on the Houston Astros broadcast team. We'll keep him just a couple more minutes. Steve, I asked a question about what the, the, the new energy toward international scouting would look like. And at the tail end of that question, I said, your predecessor made several trades that increased the Orioles' international bonus slot money, which is not renewable every year. So the Orioles are sitting with four and a half to $5 million in bonus slot money internationally. And everybody says that once Victor Victor Mesa signed and Gaston signed and we missed them, well, that money's going to waste. I maintain that there's an awful lot of good players in the Dominican Cuba and Latin America, and he seemed to agree with me and said there'll be there'll be plenty of opportunities to use that money. They are, and he he was great with the amateur draft identifying talent, and it's just not by what you see with your eyes. And I've, I mean, even as a kind of a crusty guy that played professionally for 19 years, you always want to revert back to what you really know and use your eyes. But what they're let me give you an example. I remember as a starting pitcher in the minor leagues, we were in the stands the day before and the day after we started to chart pitching because that was just part of our job mm-hmm. as a starting pitcher. And we would always see guys throwing 85 miles per hour, belt high. There was always one or two of those guys on your team. And they would, he would blow it right by guys. And if a person like me was to throw that pitch, it would be over the fence. They would knock it out of the ballpark. What I realize today now is, is that spin rate really matters because it's an optical illusion to a hitter when it's uh, different from the, the standard, when it deviates from the standard of what typically a, a pitcher able is able to do when the revolutions are faster, it's an optical illusion and they recognize that. So maybe that 85 mile per hour fastball looks like 90, 91, just because it spins faster. They can recognize that when they recognize that a certain player can spin the ball, whether it's a slider, curveball, fastball, good example, Colin McHugh, they got him off of waivers, never won a game as a major leaguer. He was 0-8 at the time with wow. like a 7 ERA. Wow. And he won 19 games for the Astros a couple of years ago. They can recognize that stuff in, in steel guys, and in, not only in the uh, domestic market, but also overseas. You know, it's interesting, and I heard that, that figure uh... – two months ago or something that Garrett Cole in Pittsburgh for four or five years struck out eight guys in nine innings. And with Houston, he was striking out 12 per nine innings. That's a monstrous right. leap forward. It is, you know, it, it was one of the things that they saw. He, he led or was close to leading the league when he was at the Pirates two seasons ago uh, in home runs. And they just felt like that two seam fastball was getting in a, in a lot of trouble. Now it's not the case for everybody. But what they recognized in Garrett, and they saw that with Charlie Morton the season before, was that their four-seam fastball would play a lot better because the revolutions on that pitch uh, garners a lot more swing and miss. 
and to couple that with his type of break and stuff, the the two seam fastball was, you know, one of the first things they they talked about. You know, they want the player to make the decision, but they they show them the data, they show mm-hmm. them, you know, where they were getting hurt and, and what they feel like they could, could take them to another level. And to those guys' credit, they they bought in and they 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 saw it early in spring training. Uh, the Astros were kind of on to something and uh, it's worked great for both of those pitchers. And I think they're good at recognizing certain pitchers around the league that aren't utilizing their pitches to the best of their ability. You know, you know, and we'll let you go. And, and I've got one more question, but one more little statement in between. I think it really hurt a lot of Oriole fans. We kind of knew that the club was behind the times on international scouting and analytics. But when you heard Zach Britton, go to New York and say he was shocked by how much more information they were giving him. And Kevin and Gosman, Gosman yeah. in Atlanta, it really yeah. hit home how how lacking we were in those areas. Yeah, you know what? I mean, and I think everybody, and Sig's great at this. I mean, you guys will be impressed. I mean, Sig, Sig's not going to get out there out in front a lot, but when you get to know him, he's very personable, but he's also... Um, very curious it, it, to take it to another level. Sig Dell two seasons ago went to go coach in short season in the New York Penn League just to get a better feel of what the players are actually going through and what kind of information he can help them with. So he got out of the comfort of his office and his situation and traveled with the team and was the first base coach through batting practice every day. He's not an athlete. He just went out there to, to learn more about how he can help people. And he went out there for two and a half months at the New York Penn League and uh, got in the trenches and that's, came back better for it. That's but he's per- always been one of those guys that loves to ask questions to see if uh, that can trigger something in his mind to go in, in different directions. But those guys are always going to challenge each other, those guys that are kind of behind the scenes with the analytics. They want to see how they can gain an advantage. Well, they take over a team that lost 115 last year, but having been through what they went through in Houston, the 100 right. lost seasons there, does that make them better equipped yeah, to handle I, I this? So. I would think it does. It has to because you've seen it. You've seen it come to fruition in, in yeah. a world championship. You it's know, kind of like uh, a guy. It's kind of like a guy who gets married. And fails, and then he gets married to. Sex. No, that's not a good example. No, that's not a good example. <laughs> that sounds that sounds personal. <laughs> hey, Steve, I've got one last question for you. Yeah. What will um, um, Sig Meidel? What will his department look like in terms of the number of people that will be in it? Maybe within a year, because we understand they had four or five people here. One of them, pretty good, by the way, an Amherst grad who has joined your team, Sarah Gellis. Uh, But what will it look like? Will it be 15 people? Will it be 25 people if they invest what they want to? You know what? I have no idea. Okay. You know, they may have have different ideas themselves. Now, Sig may say, hey, Mike, you know, I'd love to hire so-and-so from baseball perspectives. I think he has a lot of creative ideas. I'd like to hire so-and-so from Mattel because I think his business model fits something that I, I would like to see us for sure. I think they'll they'll pick and choose guys from different fields just to, to get guys in a room who can challenge each other. And whether or not it's five or 10 or 15, I have no idea. Okay. But, uh, you know, I think they'll always, they'll always push each other to, 
to be better. And that's what I've always loved about those guys. And, and to think of guys as smart as they are, not feeling like they don't make you feel like they're the smartest guy in the room, even though they are, mm-hmm. you know, they're always asking questions, uh, trying to push each other to be better. And, and then just down to earth. And, and, you know, sometimes for me, you know, it just kind of is a, a dumb jockey. You almost feel intimidated by a guy's intellect, but for guys like Sid and, and Mike, who's a, an Ivy League or two, they just seem so down to earth and cool about everything. And I'm excited for them, but I'm also excited for Baltimore. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. A guy who was the earliest kind of major league user of really bare bones analytics was a lot of people would say was Earl Weaver with his yeah. with his uh, with his cards, uh, his index right. cards, uh, and the title of his book, his autobiography or biography, it's what you know, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Mm-hmm. Meaning that you can always learn something, and that's kind of interesting to hear that Mike and Sig kind of treat um, information that way. Right. It's hey, all about attaining an edge. How you know, was uh, how was your trip last weekend? We invited you last weekend. You were out to homecoming at what, Oklahoma or Oklahoma State? So it was Father's Weekend at uh, University of Oklahoma. And my my daughter, who's a sophomore there, is in the same sorority with Dave Dombrowski's daughter, uh, the general manager, obviously, of the Boston Red Sox. Yes. So we get together every year. And he was my general manager when I was with the Tigers, so we've known each other pretty well for a long that, time anyway. That game last but, night with West Virginia reminded me a lot of the Monday night game <laughs> between, yeah. the, between the Rams and – and the Chiefs. That's exactly right. Chiefs, yeah. I mean, just who's going to get the football last or who's going to make a crucial turnover? That's. I think as you watch that unfold, you just felt like, you know, th- those defenses weren't going to stop the offense. Oh, it's just a matter of whether or not somebody was going to make a mistake. West Virginia's guy, the, the wideout, who just kept blocking – on that yeah. run, he just kept blocking the kid out of bounds, and I mean, it went like five, ten yards out of bounds. That yeah, that to me was the ball game. It was, yeah. It changed the tide, you know. And you know, games like that when you have two prolific offenses like that, you just can't make those silly mistakes. I appreciate your being on, Steve. I promise next time when I say 15 to 17 minutes, we'll keep it that that short. All right? I'm not sure how long we went, but uh, had a great time. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right. Appreciate it. Great insights from Steve Sparks.